fam, it's Josh. Thanks for tuning in. This is another teaching for our Become Like Jesus class that we are doing on Wednesday nights. And today we're going to talk about fasting. We'll start with a question. Have you ever been hangry? The combo of hunger and anger, where you're so hungry that you have this low grade or maybe even high grade anger kind of just radiating off you and everything you do and say. Camille, uh, my wife, uh, unfortunately married a very hangry man. Food was a difficult, nuanced subject in our marriage early on. I came from a good Christian Midwestern family that didn't drink or smoke, but uh, would sometimes eat our feelings. And Camille came from Northern California with this weird combo of a dad who would eat like a half gallon of ice cream for lunch, but still be super buff. And a mom who tried to kind of control emotional and relational problems through cleanses and diets and tinctures and stuff like that. So food, food was tricky. I personally felt just a lot of despair and hopelessness for a lot of my life because it seemed like my options when it came to food were being healthy, yet always feeling a little bit deprived or hangry or being satisfied uh, and chubby and maybe not really loving my wife with how I cared for my body. God's been good to grow us in our relationship to food and and each other over the last few years. And really what I feel like we've learned is how much food is related to kind of all of life, like how we relate to food and each other and all that stuff is all interconnected because we've we found a food lifestyle that is uh, actually pretty healthy and satisfying. And a big part of that food lifestyle includes regular times of fasting. And guys, so much just beyond like weight and health has changed. Like we've noticed our emotions being more stable. We have more energy for each other and our kids. Uh, My relationship with God has dramatically deepened as my whole kind of like hangry, eat my feelings, coping mechanism has begun to change. I find myself, you know, emoting with God more than I emote with food. And the, the simple decision with food, like what to eat, and then having planned times of not eating or fasting has it's just brought benefits in all kinds of different areas, relational, spiritual, uh, just as much as physical. I think it kind of started out as a physical thing, um, but I've, I've seen how much physical stuff and food interacts with our emotional, relational, and spiritual well-being. Uh, But enough about me. The reason that we're talking about fasting is because Jesus talks about fasting, and Jesus fasted. And one of the things we see in fasting is that to to flourish as a human or to become like Jesus means that we become holistic people or complete uh, people like God is complete, body and spirit both thriving. To think that we can have great faith and spiritual vitality and self-control just in kind of like a spiritual, intellectual realm, but then not have self-control in physical stuff like food uh, is just not true. It's, it's foolish. It kind of misunderstands how God created humans to be. How we relate is how we relate. Uh, a ministry leader in my college years would tell us guys before Christmas break, if you overeat, you're probably going to look at porn too. Like if you indulge one appetite of the, the flesh, uh, it's going to be way harder to have self-control and another appetite of the flesh. How we relate is how you relate. And fasting helps us see that how we relate to food and our physical bodies deeply impacts our spiritual vitality and the degree to which we become like Jesus. 
One way to think of it is that everything exists in service to relationships. This idea flows from, you know, the Shema, the, the, the greatest commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your, and your neighbor as yourself. Like, that is the point of everything. And food is not in a separate category. How we eat uh, will either help our relationship with God and others, or it will hinder it. A working definition of fasting is abstaining from food for a period of time in order to receive from God. To say it another way, fasting is just abstaining from food for the sake of feasting on God. So there's this emptying of ourselves with food in order to receive uh, and feast on God. I think it's important to keep fasting specifically focused on abstaining from food. Uh, We talked about simplicity last week, and there's lots and lots of areas of our lives where we might experiment with abstaining from things for a time for the sake of, you know, feasting on God or creating space to cultivate life with God. You know, we might take a break, uh, simplify and, and not drink coffee or take a month off social media or, you know, try six months without buying new clothes or, you know, a month without watching TV or something like that. Those would all be like great practices of simplicity. But I think fasting... Is it's important to keep it focused specifically on food because simply food is a big deal. It's a big part of being human. It's how God made us to need to eat, uh, and it plays a huge role in our apprenticeship to Jesus. You know, we were eating as humans before the fall, before sin. Like, it's not an afterthought or an inconvenience, but it's part of the human experience. Jonathan Edwards, a Puritan pastor and theologian, has... uh, uh, I've written, written several fascinating things about uh, food and its relationship to the spiritual life. He's got this great quote where he talks about resolving not to eat anything that would hinder his ability to dwell with God and think deeply uh, with God. So it's not just like a new hipster thing or, or anything like that. Like Christians throughout the years, throughout the millennia, have wrestled with how to uh, relate to food in a way that edifies a relationship with God. But if you're like me, you probably haven't heard food or fasting talked about much in church. In my last church, there was this awesome 90-year-old woman named Winona. She had been a missionary. Uh, She was really cool. She was still as spry as a spring chick. And one time she gave me a book by a pastor on food. This pastor, he was in West Virginia, and he was seeing how much uh, obesity and diet-related problems were just killing the spiritual vitality of his church. He tells the story of being in this marriage counseling session with this couple who are both overweight, uh, I think one or maybe both of them had, uh, you know, type 2 diabetes, so they had no energy and they had all these money problems because they were paying for doctor visits and insulin and all this stuff. And he's like, maybe marriage problems aren't the root cause. Like, maybe that's just a symptom of a bigger issue. And Winona, it was like really amazing. Like, she got super worked up by, you know, we were First Baptist of Big Rapids, so what do we do? Like, we had potlucks and we had donuts in the lobby every Sunday and a lot of our church members were overweight. We even had a, a pretty disproportionate number of people who had had bariatric surgery in our church. Uh, so it was, you know, kind of one of those things where we could look at, like, not drinking or smoking or whatever, uh, but then have this whole, you know, blind spot around food. Another one of my good friends, uh, one of my favorite pastors, uh, used to be super overweight. And he said in a moment of desperation to me just how he felt so terrible, you know, standing up on stage, preaching about the goodness of God while his body just kind of testified to another goodness that he might like a little bit too much. 
Uh, food is just a sensitive topic. It's like right out there in the open. You got to do it to survive. And it's wrapped up in body image issues and eating disorders. And we got all these different eating lifestyles like vegan or paleo or keto or vegetarian, you know, that people can get, you know, awkwardly fanatical about and stuff. And if you look at the uh, top 10 leading causes of death, about five of them stem from an unhealthy diet or over, being overweight. Uh, so it's a big issue. We have you know these these diseases of civilization, as they call them, uh, that are all flowing out of our relationship with food. But all that to say, if you're squirming a little bit, uh, if you're already a little bit mad at me, still trying to recover from the simplicity and, and Sabbath discussion, uh, I, I understand and I'm sorry. But uh, I just want to put it out there and invite you to stick with me because I humbly believe that the church needs to address food and our relationship to food. And the biblical historical way that the church has addressed this has been through the discipline of fasting. Fasting is one of these things that you can just do, and then over time, in a healthy rhythm, uh, stuff happens to you. It begins to rewire the way you relate to food. The first thing I'll say about fasting is this. You don't have to do it. Maybe I'm undermining everything I'm about to say, but I just want to be abundantly clear. It's not a command in Scripture. I don't think you're in sin if you neglect a fast, but it's in the category of freedom. It's in the category of these historical and biblical practices done by Jesus that have been proven to help, you know, throughout 2,000 years of church history as a tool, as a helpful tool to shape the hearts and foster affection for God in the lives of Jesus' followers. So with all these disciplines, it's an invitation, and regardless of whether or not you accept that invitation to explore fasting or not, I just encourage you to try to stay at the table and uh, be curious about what is going on in you emotionally as you consider just the thought of fasting. If you're feeling uncomfortable or angry, just, you know, consider why is that? What was your experience with food growing up? How did your family relate to food? Are you a stress eater or a stress faster? And what does that show you about your heart? Be curious about all that stuff. And, you know, most importantly, it'd be helpful to talk to, you know, a brother or sister about it, maybe someone in your LTG as you consider that. Invite someone in, especially in with food, you know, it can be such a, like, hidden thing or a shameful thing or whatever. But I know it's a minefield. It needs to be very nuanced. Uh, fasting is used, be used with lots of wisdom and patience and grace. Uh, but I, I don't want to do it. I just want to do a quick word about eating disorders because pastorally, Addressing eating disorders, I think, could really be helped by introducing fasting. Fasting as a way to abstain from food with God in humility and surrender and dependence on God for a set period of time for his glory, rather than, you know, maybe some forms of eating disorders where we would uh, abstain from eating, you know, as a, as a exercise of control to try to deal with our anxiety or deal with bodily shame uh, or guilt or something like that. Because a key part of fasting is having a set period of time of not eating and then breaking the fast, coming back to food with gratitude, uh, glorifying God for the food that he's provided and being thankful for it. You know, on the flip side, if someone struggled with overeating, you know, there'd be the invitation to uh, experiment with fasting and just kind of rehearse the, like, denying the appetites of the flesh. But then there'd be the invitation on, to, to how to eat to the glory of God. So I think all the disclaimers are done. We can talk about any other uh, concerns or questions that come up on Wednesday. But let's look at some of the biblical basis of fasting. 
First, we see in Matthew 4, 1 through 2, right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, or I guess before he started it, he was baptized, and then Matthew 4, verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For forty days and forty nights he fasted and became very hungry. So we see Jesus doing this intense fast, and he's combining it with a long stretch of silence and solitude. And this, of course, is not prescriptive, telling us to do this exact same thing. But it is descriptive of how Jesus lived. And if we want to apprentice under him, we want to be like him, we should consider how he lived and how we could maybe adapt some of his habits into our lives uh, to become like him. And this is really important, I think. Dallas Willard points out that the reason Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness uh, is because in silence and solitude and fasting, there is an access to power, an emptying of the self so that God can fill you with strength. Basically, the Spirit wanted Jesus in the best case scenario to face temptation. The verse says it, he was hungry, of course, but as he responds to the devil, you know, he quotes scripture, man does not live on bread alone, but on the word of God which is probably something that he had been rehearsing in his soul for the past 40 days without food. He'd been alone with God, denying the appetites of his flesh, praying for God to satisfy him and be near him. So when the temptation came, it wasn't like, you know, fresh off of a feast or a time of indulgence. He was in a place where he had been practicing denying the appetites of the flesh in order to be dependent on God. Similar to silence and solitude, fasting can be a furnace of transformation. It can bring up lots of ways that we manage our lives through food and exercise control, and it creates a void and an emptiness for God to be our refuge and comfort. It's so helpful to subdue our flesh, our sinful desires. Uh, we, we need to practice denying the flesh. You know, Paul talks about, like, I beat my body and make it my slave, which is uncomfortable language, but we see this idea of where we have our spirit-filled, regenerated inner man interacting with our body as, as the leader, as the one who seeks to subdue the appetites of the flesh so that they are in line with what we value most. The next passage is in the Sermon on the Mount, a couple chapters later in Matthew 6. Jesus says, And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled, so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is their only reward. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, then no one will notice that you're fasting except your Father, who knows what you do in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Here, two things I want to point out. Jesus shows us, one, that he's assuming his apprentices will fast. He says, when you fast, not if you fast. Again, this isn't a command, but the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' like, most thorough and longest instruction to his disciples, to his apprentices. And he includes a decent amount about fasting with the assumption that his apprentices are fasting. The second thing we see is that the point is not fasting, but getting a reward. Like he, it's all over the Sermon on the Mount, and a lot of Jesus is teaching. Like he shamelessly appeals to our desire for a reward, you know, like selling everything to buy the field or, or whatever, you know, getting a reward in heaven. Fasting, like all spiritual practices, is never an end in and of itself. It serves a bigger purpose. And he mentions folks that fast in order to look super spiritual and is these you know, spiritual haggard heroes. Miss, they'll miss out on the reward that Jesus wants his apprentices to, uh, to get because they'll get you know, approval or admiration from man. I don't think any of us are maybe in this category of struggling with 
you know, the temptation to impress people with fasting. If you are, let's talk about that on Wednesday. But here we see the reward it comes from our Father who sees us. There's like this, this level of awareness where God sees us in our fasting and rewards us in that. He's not super specific about what that is, but uh, it's an intimate picture where your Father who sees everything you do in private, he will see you and reward you as you draw near to him in fasting. The next passage uh, to look at, I think, builds on kind of the nature of this reward, which is the presence of God. It's like more of God, living life with God under his rule. Matthew 9, it says this, Matthew 9, 14. One day, the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked him, Why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, Do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not, but someday the groom will be taken away from them and they will fast. Jesus is making a crystal clear connection between his presence and fasting. The presence of God and fasting. The reward is the presence. So Jesus is the groom in this parable. And when he was with his disciples physically present, there was a time to feast and to celebrate. But then when he ascended to heaven physically, he says, then his disciples will fast. It's just so beautiful, the both and aspects of Jesus' life and mission where he worked and he rested. He feasted and he fasted. He liked it. Jesus liked to party. He was always eating with people and meals were just an anchor of his ministry. You know, his first miracle was turning water into wine at a wedding so the party could keep going. And so when they ask, why don't your disciples fast? He's like, because I'm here. So Jesus shows us that fasting is directly connected to the presence of God. And when we are living in a place where there is like an absence or a physical absence of the presence of God, there is value in fasting. When Jesus is taken away, his disciples fast. And this is, gets at one of the big things the fasting kind of trains our bodies in, which is that we're living in the already not yet. Because Jesus came, we have reason to rejoice and celebrate in the gospel. We can already know Jesus as our King and Savior. We can know God as our Father who loves us and is pleased with us. And so we as Christians can be a celebrative, feasting people. But we're not fully in that reality, right? There's still brokenness in our souls, besetting sin, pain and loss. And so we continue to live uh, in this not yet, waiting and longing uh, and so we fast. And fasting helps us embrace this longing, this, this the not yet reality that we are united with Christ, you know, in standing objectively, uh, but experientially we're not fully united. We have the Spirit. We can experience His presence now. Uh, and fasting shows us this reality of the already not yet because we fast and we're longing for the fulfillment, the redemption of all things. Uh, and then we break the fast and we feast and celebrate that we are, are already experiencing in part life in the kingdom. The last bit of biblical framework for fasting, I just want to point out, I think these are so fun and even a little bit awkwardly like intense or weird, is, is all these, these lines in scripture, mostly in the Psalms where God and his presence is described in edible terms, in, in terms of food and satisfaction. Psalm 34 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Or Psalm 63 says, O oh God, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. 
When we fast and we experience the pang of hunger physically, we can let that physical experience draw our hearts and minds and our bodies to God and say, you and you alone can satisfy me. So that's a super brief overview of fasting. You'll notice that uh, it's not a command, uh, has nothing to do with earning God's favor or, you know, paying penance for overeating for the night before or getting God to like you more or putting God in your debt or anything like that. It's, it's an emptying of ourselves. It's a denying the flesh, sowing to the spirit to hear from God and receive from him. Next, I want to just talk about a couple important aspects of reality that fasting helps us embrace like physically, bodily, helps us live into these realities that I think most of us would say we agree with but can struggle to like live practically. The first reality is that the physical and spiritual aspects of our lives are inseparable. I think it's tricky in our culture. We tend to separate physical and spiritual things or sacred things against spiritual things. But that's a, that's a new separation uh, that's not in Scripture. Uh, the next reality is that fasting shows us what John Piper calls are the two H's, the two H's of reality, which is our helplessness and our hope. Uh, fasting reminds us, you know, that in our overfed culture that we are, in fact, helpless and dependent on God for food. Like we are dependent on inputs coming into our body to survive um, and that our hope is for satisfaction in God himself, not in food. Uh, so it's easy to lose sight of that, that our hope is God, that we won't be satisfied apart from being fully united with God. Now, we live in a feasting culture, period. Uh, you know, it's just crazy, our, our time in human history. I feel like I've talked about this a lot. Uh, you know, most, our most basic meals today would have been considered over-the-top feasts throughout most of human history. Uh, but this gets at the, the third kind of reality, which is that uh, waiting for satisfaction is just the, the reality of our lives. We're waiting in the gap, the waiting in the, the not yet, tasting, getting a, a, a initial taste of life with God, uh, and then we wait in the gap. And so fasting helps us with our bodies acknowledge that we are waiting for satisfaction. Now, the interesting thing um, with the disciplines, this is maybe more of a meta thing, but I just want to connect uh, this idea of the kingdom and our physical bodies together is um, we, we tend to barter with God. You know, we're like, I'll give you this aspect. You know, I'll embrace the kingdom in this capacity, uh, but you better leave this part of me alone. You know, uh, like maybe I'll, I'll do a lot of things for you, but don't touch my money. Or let me just write you a check, God, and you know, let me, you know, and leave me alone. Uh, but how we interact with food and our physical health is, is part of the ways that we proclaim, we like testify to the, the good news that we can experience life with God. We see this connection in Matthew 4, 23, where it's describing Jesus' ministry. It says, he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction among the people. Uh, to me, this is really profound. Like we, we, I mean, we could talk a lot about healing and the healing ministry of Jesus and stuff like that. But for Jesus, there was this like validation of the gospel of the kingdom and how it broke into people's physical bodies and, and physical diseases and afflictions were healed as the kingdom was proclaimed, that life with God under his rule is available to us. Um, and then there's like outworkings in the physical realm. Jesus is Lord of all. The abundant life that he came to give us applies to our whole person. So that's an overview of some of the biblical basis for fasting and also just some of the realities that fasting can help us 
uh, kind of embody or testi- uh, embrace, testify to. So let's talk about some practical things regarding fasting. In some sense, this might be the easiest spiritual discipline because it's, you know, just not eating. Like, just put down the fork and voila, you're fasting. There's a kind of, you know, some side benefits in the sense that fasting can make our days easier. Because uh, when we fast, we start to realize, like, how much thoughts we put into eating and planning to eat, what we're going to eat, and, and then how much time we put into cooking and preparing food and all that stuff. And so they're, they're, it can free up a lot of time uh, to, uh, to do other things. So the kind of entry level for fasting is to simply pick one day a week uh, and not eat lunch, skip lunch, and spend the time that you would would have eaten lunch or cooking food or whatever uh, to to just kind of pray, uh, maybe read Psalm 34, 63, and say, God, I want to taste and see that you're good. I want you to satisfy me as with fat and rich food, you know, enrich food, and just you know sit there and kind of use that space to to allow God to satisfy you, to feast on Him. And then the kind of next level, the reach level for a fasting practice would be to do a 24-hour fast where maybe you would eat dinner on Tuesday night and then you would fast, you know, go to bed and and then fast throughout the day, breakfast and lunch on Wednesday, and then break your fast with dinner on Wednesday night. Uh, You know, obviously it could be any day of the week, just as an example. Um, But that's kind of the, you know, the the next level there. And practically, I'd encourage you to only drink water or maybe, you know, just black coffee or, you know, plain tea or something like that. Nothing with calories in it. Uh, in, the, in the past, I would do juice fasts where I would just, like, would only drink juice. And in my experience, that is, like, even more difficult and miserable because, you know, you get all this. Like, one, I, you know, I think nutritionally they say, what do they say? Like, drink your vegetables and eat your, eat your fruit or something like that. Like, having, you know, all that sugar from, like, fruit juice apart from, like, the fiber and stuff isn't great. It spikes your insulin. And it, it makes you, and insulin makes you hungrier. Uh, and so, you know, just doing water or, you know, these kind of clear liquids or whatever can allow your blood sugar to kind of settle down. And, and, and what I found is that you, you kind of get used to fasting and you can even enjoy the feeling of just kind of feeling light and steady and not hangry and all that stuff. Um, and when you break your fast, you know, uh, you eat something simple, you know, at the end of your fast, you know, don't overdo it or make up for lost time or whatever. And then breaking the fast is almost like a, its own discipline or it's got its own like spiritual formation capacity because it can be just that in my experience, it just it makes the simplest meals so rich. Like, you know, as they say, hunger is the best seasoning. And so it just like it kind of can reawaken the, the sweetness that we get to come to the table and eat three meals a day that God provides food for us that not only sustains our existence but also tastes good like he could have just made it all like tasteless matter that you know fuels our our lives or whatever but uh so it just like it you know it's easy to kind of expect a feast at every meal and when you when you enter fasting breaking the fast can just become this really rich time of gratitude um, and, and, you know, tying it into maybe some of the eating disorders or some of our intensity of like wanting to like win or be the best faster or whatever. Uh, so sometimes you, as you get into a good rhythm with fasting, uh, it can almost feel like a letdown or like, oh, I could go further. I could push it further or whatever. Because uh, like part of the discipline of fasting is to break the fast, you know, choose to break it with awareness of God's goodness and an awareness of gratitude that acknowledging and humility that we need food. Uh, now, this is like a side thing. You can take it or leave it. I know we have at least a couple medical professionals in our class, so I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on this. 
But I, as I've dive, dove into fasting, I've learned that there's actually uh, a lot of medical and like physiological benefits for you with fasting. Really, really good stuff. Um, there's a ton of research out there on the benefits of fasting. It's a little bit on trend now, but some of the research even indicates that doing like one or two longer fasts, like one or two five-day fasts a year, all but eliminates your risk of cancer through this process that they've discovered called autophagy, where during an extended fast, your body does these different processes, um, like metabolizing, breaking down cells that are already kind of old or falling apart, and it re replenishes the telomeres on your DNA, which they describe like the, uh, like the caps on your shoelaces or whatever, and it's the stuff that frays and goes wonky as we age and can result in rapid cancerous cellular multiplication and stuff like that. There's fasting clinics around the world um, where people basically go on these retreats and they fast for a long, long time under medical supervision and they, they effectively heal all kinds of autoimmune diseases. And a doctor at one of these clinics said that if he had a pill that people could buy and get the results that he was seeing with fasting, his phone would be blowing up. But, you know, because there's no money in it, it, it doesn't get a lot of press time in the media or whatever. So there's a little physiology lesson for free. Sorry if that's distracting. My point in saying that is that it just feels like a fabric of the universe the kind of thing. Like when science begins to unpack all these unintended benefits and rewards of following Jesus's way of life. We fast in order to feast on God. That's the point. That's the driving reality. But conveniently, when we're seeking God in this way, not seeking to sow to the Spirit, deny our bodily appetites for a period of time, our bodies reap some other benefits as well. To close, let's just remember and celebrate that there is a time when God's people will not fast anymore. There's a time coming when we'll be feasting in the presence of God at his table forever. There will be no void, no gap, no not yet. All that will be over and we'll live in the joy of our salvation forever in the presence of Christ our King. There will be no more hunger, no more pain, no more tears, no more loss. We'll just enjoy satisfying the satisfying presence of God and, and our King forever. So Lord, haste that day. That's it. I love you guys. I look forward to hearing your thoughts on fasting on Wednesday night. And we'll see you then.